Hey everyone, and welcome to the 71st episode of The Liam McCollum Show. In this episode, I'm talking with my friend Adam Thune. Adam holds a PhD in neuroscience where he studied the intersection of vision, attention, and value in the brain, a master's in management, a PMP, and a bachelor's in molecular biology and biochemistry. He's a retired field grade officer, former company commander, and had two combat tours to Afghanistan, supporting both conventional and special operations. In this episode, we're talking about your brain on propaganda, how attention is both essential and finite, and how media as an enterprise needs to first hijack and then guide your attention, and how that reduces resolution in the periphery outside of their very narrow spotlight. We also get a little bit into Montana politics and the importance of localism in the later part of the interview. I first met Adam when I started getting involved in the Libertarian Party, and I'm very happy to finally be doing a podcast with him. I hope you guys enjoy it. Remember to subscribe to me on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Give the video a thumbs up and share it around. And then also subscribe to me on Odyssey because they're doing a really great job giving us all a platform. So when the time comes when YouTube finally kicks us all off their platform, we have a place to be. Thanks for watching the show. And now here's my interview with Adam. Adam, thanks for coming on. It's it's really a privilege to have you on. We've been talking over the last few months and we've kind of become friends. I'm wondering if, if you can just start with uh, a little bit about your military background and maybe get into your academic background too. Uh, yeah, sure. So now the quick story is grew up in rural North Dakota from working class parents. Uh, went to college. From college, I joined the military. They need a lot of bodies back then. It's about 2007. Uh, did a couple of combat tours in Afghanistan, uh, a part of conventional and also special operations working in. It's called civil affairs. We can talk about that if we want. I was retired uh, due to back and knee problems, uh, and I went to go pursue a PhD in neuroscience, uh, where I studied the attention system, uh, the visual system, and how value and probability are kind of dealt with and encoded in that part of the brain when you're doing some tasks. So that was my thesis. Very glad to be finished uh, with my academic studies and, you know, earning the doctorate and all and moving on to different things. Uh, academia is probably not on my short list of things to stay in at the moment. We could talk about that. <laughs> my quick, quick version. And, and, you know, in the military, again, like I said, I did a couple of Afghanistan tours. But when I got uh, into civil affairs, it's really dealing with, I mean, if I had to use a DOD tagline, it would be like leveraging civilian assets on the battlefield to accomplish our objectives, you could say it that way. Uh, and there's a lot of ways you could toxically say it or say it as you're a hero, depending on who your, who your target audience is, you know? So. Yeah. Well, I hadn't really thought about um, the field of NIAP or neuroscience until I met you. And it's now every time we're on the phone, it's almost like we're in hour long conversations about it. And it's just very fascinating to me. So do you want to just talk a little bit more about, the specific focus that you had and what you got your PhD in? Sure. Um, So the, the, I guess it's operating on the visual system and I don't really need to tell everybody about what that means as far as we're going to keep everything mostly layman for everyone's sanity, including my own. Uh, But so using the visual system and how, you know, attention works in there. So when I say attention, like you can think of, like your conscious experience is kind of like an overt attention, but you also have other things that can like pull your attention, like say, I don't know if a baseball went through my window to the right, I think this conversation would end quite quickly, right? So those, those salient things can grab your attention as well. 
And so really work looking at that system and what attention means. And so, you know, the big punchline that I think everybody kind of knows intuitively that, you know, I got a nice in-depth understanding of was, you know, you, you know, you don't process things you're not attending to and what you process changes how you process or changes you. And so where you put your attention matters a lot, right? You can only get so much information out of the world and make sense of it all at different scales, different things else. You don't have uh, an uh, unlimited resource of it either. That's another fact. Like what you attend to here, you're going to lose over there. And there's just no way around this, right? You know, as society, we've able to go around that with specialized work and all these other things. I'm sure everybody on this podcast knows well about, you know, but that's just the truth of it. You can't pay attention to everything. So, you know, we're kind of demanded to do so in 2021, which I think is hilarious to watch. Um, and a lot of, you know, going back to the neuroscience thing, I think a lot of people know about, you know, psychological principles in the, in the area of psychology, which is, you know, the application of the mind and what kind of emerges out of it, where my, my realm is kind of in the biological area. So I'm a neurophysiologist. So I did, you know, biological encoding and you know, what the neurons are doing, how they're firing um, when it comes to those different things. So that's kind of some of the difference. And when you and I talk, it's, it's almost like we're kind of mixing politics with neuroscience and, <laughs> um, I, something I've been thinking about pretty frequently is the way that media is able to divert your attention away from, um, something that you should be attending to. So like, the perfect example that I think of that a lot of people can resonate with is the Rittenhouse trial. And a lot of the cases that were happening alongside that. Um, and now obviously the Maxwell trial that isn't getting a lot of attention. Do you also through your studies, was it more just about um, visual attention or is there kind of like some overlap with the way that we are kind of possessed by certain information through the media? Well, I'm going to separate out some of the academics because some of what I understand about things come from the first, my first, my, who I used to be, if you will, and then the practical you know, application of some things, praxis, whatever else you want to call it on, on the battlefield and, and these different things. So, you know, as far as like how I think about information operations, which is, you know, that sounds scary to some people, you know, somebody like me, that's kind of just just something that happens, right? It's just a line of effort that somebody's using to get stuff. So when it comes to stuff like the Rittenhouse trial, what I see is people amplifying things that fit their narrative and deamplifying things that don't and bringing your attention to those things. So what, I'm, what am I saying? You know, you people attend to CNN who like CNN. I don't know who these people are, but they're out there. I think so. I mean, a lot of, a lot of people are there just to see what kind of bullshit's coming out their mouth today, but there's still people who believe it and they trust them for reasons or whatever, right? You know, in media today, I think a lot of the business model is, you know, tar like you're going to give your audience what they want or they'll go away, which, you know, well, we can discuss how, how toxic that is. I don't think any podcast or, you know, anybody else in that space wouldn't disagree. That's the incentive. Your incentive is to tell people what they want to hear so they keep, you know, subscribing to your shit or whatever. Right. So when it comes to what your original question, like it's just the, what are you processing? So if you're processing that it's a big deal, somebody crossed state lines without the added information of, yeah, but he didn't use the weapon was there. Right. If they only use the one thing that sounds scary, 
right? There's a lot of, everybody has an intuitive knowledge of a lot of issues when you cross state lines. You go cross state lines, commit a murder, you're going to have a federal murder charge. This is something I think people kind of have an intuitive grasp on. But when you leave out by lie of omission, if you will, leave out some context, right? So that, that you know, they can call it misinformation if you want, right? Just obscuring the truth, even though they've said the truth. Like he did cross state lines, but he always crossed state lines. He was the like, again, like those, that the context about the situation. So really targeting that little piece of information, if that's what you want to call it, I'll call it data. And I really want to stress on this. I'm really uh, a stickler for this about data doesn't equal information. So I'm going to go to like a mathematical definition of information in the Shannon, Claude Shannon paper. But the real essence of it is this, like data is information if it reduces uncertainty, Right. You, you understand the truth more if it's informative. If it doesn't, then it might be misinformation or disinformation. You understand where I'm going with this? So if I give you a piece of information like he crossed state lines, that's, a, that's, a, that's true data. I observed it. I, well, it's a fake line, but we'll, we'll get into that later, right? The fake border thing. But like he went across this political line that's observable, right? We can define it. It's in space. And that's a, that's a data point. But when you present it the way they presented it, they want you to come up with a different conclusion. If nothing else, just not the other conclusion, which is that's not a big fucking deal because it wasn't in the context of this issue. Right. But when they have the microphone, the amp, the gigaphone like they have and they can amplify the one fact, the one data point right over others and not explain the context in another version of that. I mean, you get what you see, which is people thinking all kinds of shit about this case. And, you know, a lot of it, because it's tribalized, that's because that's how you have to make money nowadays, or at least it seems that way. I mean, people are already primed to believe that every gun issue is just another data point to them about how we should restrict gun access to everybody. Right. Look at this teenager. He even crossed state lines to commit murder. Right. That was the narrative. Yeah. And so the murder part is just an accusatory thing, which you can't really say. Um, unless you, you know, go through the court law and all these different things, right? The process is over. So yes, he's been acquitted of murder. That did not happen. It's self-defense, you know, where, where that definition gets, gets officialized, you know, who knows, right? But that, it was all as an operation to influence that outcome. Anybody doesn't understand that, like, I don't know what world you're living in because it wasn't done. Like the, the, the description of what Kyle Rittenhouse did as murder or self-defense was not complete, for a year and some change, but that did not stop anybody from playing these amplification, deamplification games on particular data points. Again, is that giving you information? Well, it's giving some people the illusion of information. Yeah, right. And then they go out and parrot all this crap to everybody, including college professors, which I certainly have listened to myself. Right. Some people thought he was shot in the back, that he chased them down. That, you know, he's got an armory and in, in Illinois and brought it over like people believe all kinds of stuff. But again, a part of it is because you can't attend to everything. So what you're spending your time doing and really absorbing. Right. You're not going to absorb other things. And so if you have a surface level understanding of some things and a deeper understanding of other things, it, it, it behooves everybody to stay in that space. But in, in 2021, we're all demanded to understand everything this way, which is hilarious to say. And hilarious to try do, but nevertheless, it seems what we all have these standards for our friends. Like you better believe what I believe perfectly, right? Even though they might have a surface level understanding. So I think that's me just saying cut everybody a little bit of slack, except for media companies who should cut no slack.
because they are clearly either just caving to market demands, right? Of I will give my audience whatever they desire as a way to make money within some ethical framework, right? Or just blatantly trying to you know, skew outcomes um, in order to get what they want later, right? People sacrifice in their ethics now for this greater future later. That happens quite a bit, right? You know, we're all, we all can, we've all done that. I do it. I don't want, I shouldn't do it, but I do it, right? So. Yeah, I think for people who might not necessarily necessarily see that, like it's just not obvious that they really are trying to get a certain outcome. I think when I first kind of became aware that this was happening, I think was focusing on foreign policy and just like the discovery that there just is so much data out there that is newsworthy or that could in another universe fit like, or, or could be on the front paper or the front side of the newspaper in an alternate universe that is worthy of being the top headline that is like, you know, children just got bombed in Afghanistan or, you know, Israel just bombed civilians in Syria or something like that. And just how much is going on in the world, but like the way that our attention seems to take in media is almost to treat it as if it's this silo and all the world exists in this silo. And is if I can just like feed this into my brain, I'm getting all that all the data that exists out in the world and I'm downloading it. Like that's how people treat it. But really the top story of the day is subjective in how it has been amplified. It easily could have been something else. Kyle Rittenhouse, the, the Kyle Rittenhouse story could have been the Maxwell story. It could have been the Epstein story. They could have been amplifying something else artificially. Right. So it, it just like trying to see how much else is going on and like almost attending to other alternate sources allowed me to realize just how subjective simply deciding what type of story should be run today. Like the media today seems to have this veneer of objectivity, but I think that's impossible because simply deciding what you're going to focus on is subjective. Well, so there's a lot, there's a lot there. Let me, let me start with the first part. So they need your, like you need attention to feed uh, data to, for lack of a better description, right? If I don't have your attention. And so attention in this case is, we'll just call it prioritized processing. I'm going to process this, you know, neurologically, bring it to consciousness the way the determinists may understand it. Nevertheless, same, same, same difference here, right? So I need that from you to feed you this thing, right? So that, that's one reason why you see the, the headline game being played, where it's not just about what headlines they choose or choose not to run. It's what they use in the, the verbiage or something to get your attention, something salient, for lack of a better word, something's important to my audience. And if I use these phrases, I can do it this way or some of those algorithms that I think even the New York Times was guilty of using where that changes the headline based off of the profile of the digital user coming into the website. So, oh, Adam is a redneck Montanan. So let me redneck Montanan this story. I still want his attention because I want to do something with it. Right. I don't really know. Like It might not be too, it probably is too hard for them to like point predict what people will do. But they are trying to, you know, 
you know, guide the narrative and also build themselves as the ones that know the narrative the most. And in reality, nobody really knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And if you don't think that's true, you tell me how your plans from 2019 are in 2021 about this time frame. Let me know how, how predictive everyone seems to be, right? And so the other part of it is about scale. And what scale are you looking at? So when, I, and when I'm an individual and what is important to me, that, that might be you know, pulling info from, from a scale, but I might not care about other things. So let me give you an example. Like I care about what foreign policy is doing because it's the country's money, the country's efforts. And in my case, people I know, right? Um, when it comes to what New York does for COVID, out here in Montana, I could give a fuck, right? Now there's some issue there about contagion effect and maybe my, you know, maybe in some you know, alternate universe where hell has frozen over, the Democrats take control of Montana and start into these things with some contagion effect. I mean, I doubt it, right? I doubt it. But that, that's one version of like the scale of information and what people do, like how much does it matter to me? So I might like not want that. And there's a lot of media algorithms that are probably designed to get me pissed off because they know I hate that stuff. So they're gonna send me that stuff and adjust the headline to make sure I know it's a threat to me kind of stuff. Right. You want to get somebody's attention, scare the shit out of them, give them sex. Right. Or present scarcity. Those three things. I mean, again, marketers don't need people like me. They've been figuring this out for years. What humans will jump at. Right. So I don't know where we are in this diatribe. We were somewhere. <laughs> but uh, the final thing I'll say about the, the foreign policy, military and data and information and attention. If I had to wrap up what I I have kind of been meditating on and kind of think about now is you know the system really only knows what gets reported to it. And at some scales, it just doesn't know. So there's billions of people around the world. There's millions of people in America. But the, as far as the national system and what it's going to do, it does not have that many sensory feelers out. It has a very small amount, actually. And so that, whatever they care about. So in the military, you might have called them measures of performance, and measures of effectiveness. And this, and this is a good example of why the wars go bad. So one measure of performance we had was how many dead bodies we could produce that were you know, insurgent-ish, right? That we, thought, we thought that statistic was amazing. Best statistic ever. Look at how many people we captured. Look at how many people we killed. Look at the bad guys we found, right? Even if you wanted to do something like, um, well, let's just stay with there so I can get the point. So those things did what? As I used to tell my old team leaders, you know, when I was a commander, is like, listen, so we have to deal with something called insurgent math. And insurgent math works like this. We have 20 bad guys. We killed 10 and now we have 30. So we killed another 15 and now we have 70 because that's not necessarily the metric of effectiveness. Right. It's a metric of performance. So what's a metric of effectiveness as a counterexample? Well, I don't know if this is true because it's kind of. You kind of, it emerges, right? The real world's messy. It's not the laboratory. Something scientists need to figure the fuck out real fast, right? So when it comes to measure effectiveness, something might be how much collateral damage we have. And in a sense of like, I'm trying to mitigate, like minimize that number as the only number I give a shit about because it's the collateral damage that produces more enemy fighters, right? In the sense, or more violence, more chaos. So if I care about that metric, that might be a metric of effectiveness and how effective I am. That's still not a measure of effectiveness, really, because that's just a, a, a performance metric from yourself. The real metric of effectiveness is how violent the country is and how much, you know, the, the Taliban controls, maybe, or, you know, what the people around are willing to accept out of their puppet government or whatever version of the story it is today. Right. 
So th those might be measures of effectiveness, but those things tend to be nebulous and a lot harder to measure. So we have a society obsessed with numbers because the enlightenment, fine, I like reason, I like rationality, but all those things imply you understand the context. Because without the context, you might fuck up your logic. And if you fuck up your logic, well, you're no better than dumb dumb on the street, making shit up, right? So you can be fooled by the data because the data is not necessarily informative. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if this is entirely related, but what it reminded me of is just like how over the last year, we've only been con controlling for certain variables with the pandemic where it's like, we right. only care about certain numbers, like right. how many people are, you know, infected, how many people have had COVID, how many deaths there are, but we're not caring about like how many cancer patients haven't been treated over the last year. We're only controlling right. for one data point, I guess. Well, I mean, there's a lot uh, when you say it that way, it's like a key insight I think you have because there's not only is there a perfect example of what I just said in the COVID thing, like you just described example, like, oh, we we think our they're using vaccine percentages as a measure of effectiveness of controlling the virus. Right. So I'm saying, oh, if I get 80 percent of people vaccinated, ergo pandemic is going to be better. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And one easy reason why is because the variant might change and you might need new problems. I don't think anybody's going to deny that. But at the same time, you have people like The New York Times, again, using their tools and they say stuff like vaccine mandates. I read this article. That's why I'm getting at this. Vaccine mandates are mandates are working. And what is their definition of working? Their definition of working is how many people have been vaccinated, you see. So like, yeah, vaccine mandates work to improve that metric of performance. But it certainly doesn't improve the metric of effectiveness, which is minimizing the impact of COVID-19 on all of society, which is a multifaceted domain where even if you had the best machine learning tools in the world, your data would steer you wrong because you can't. Like it's very hard for computers and machines. This is something else people don't understand. They can't optimize for more than one variable very easily. It's certainly not more than two. Like they can't hit that perfect minimal thing. Like the real world is way too messy for that. But our reliance on these data, when you crunch something down to a number, you lose some of its essence, right? Even in the laboratory, what am I getting off of my electrodes in the brain is just voltage and it's plotted over time. That's it. So that's a scale constraint. Right. I am looking at neural activity in this area and I got voltage from it. And you can infer a lot from voltage based off of other things we understand about the brain. But it's certainly not the whole picture. And it also doesn't really indicate how, let's say I have a neuron, I know what it's doing. And let's say I have another neuron, I know what it's doing. But if I'm not trying to look at those interactions, I'm losing all kinds of information about it. Right. So I'm down to reductionism and I'm sitting with these two things. And just because I have these two things, I know everything about them, doesn't mean when I put them together, I understand what they do together. Make sense, right? It's just the issue with scientism in general is that they reduce everything down to what they can and then build these models, right? So they've reduced things from reality and built models to explain reality. And we all know models are wrong. That's, that's a saying, but they're also dangerous and they have been dangerous. And I think everybody on this podcast probably knows that by now. But. Yeah, that's what I mentioned. Um, I kind of asked two questions earlier and we got off track. It, I think I was talking about like the subjectivity of news and how oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, someone simply has bias in what they are choosing to write about. Like, like, cause I mean, even here at the university of Montana, I'm, I'm minoring in journalism and it seems like 
they put objectivity on this shrine. They want to worship it. It's like, it's like, but it's so impossible, even from the point of finding a story. And that's, that's something that I think that we should drop entirely. I think, I think there's like a difference in like trying to be honest and and truthful and um, being virtuous in that respect, but it's completely different to say that you are looking at it from an eagle eye, I guess. I, I will say this fairly confidently on your podcast that an individual themselves cannot be objective. Unless you've learned how to disconnect your cortex from your limbic system, you are not objective. That does not mean systems cannot be objective, but it depends on how those systems are constructed, right? So in the sense of like, I'm going to, like at the end of the day, you can't get rid of the subjectivity as you're alluding to. Like somebody made a decision that we're only going to care about these metrics, right? That's a subjective thing. Now, you might have the ability to iterate over time to make it, you know, map closer to the truth where it becomes maybe less subjective in the case of like, let's call it a committee, even though I hate them, right? Everybody's got a picture to that, but the, you know, collectively, none of you might agree on what the thing is that you're measuring or how you're going to do something with that data. But that process itself is pulling a little bit from everybody else. So it's not necessarily subjective. It's creating something, but it's built on, a bunch of subjects, right? You are a subject. You're a human. That's what you are. Now, whether you want to deny that or not, well, some people want to be transhuman tomorrow for reasons I'm still not sure of. I'm a team human guy. Most of the machines are full of shit, right? They'll fool you into thinking all kinds of garbage. They'll take your attention and throw it away. How much time are you wasting right now, everybody? That's the question you got to ask yourself and maybe go outside more, myself included, right? So the other thing I think we were talking about, and this might have something to do with um, the scale that you were talking about, but maybe not is, um, if we are focusing here, we're not focusing where we ought to be maybe from our perspective, which is locally. And there's something, there's something about the Kyle Rittenhouse that really disturbed me and that it became a general discussion about justice nationwide when really it should have only implicated Kenosha And I think under our system, if news really pertained only to the local area and we only focused on things that that were local, perhaps the Kenosha incident would have happened, wouldn't have happened anyway, because we already would have been focusing so locally that criminal justice in Kenosha wouldn't have implicated criminal justice issues in New York or Montana. So like if if it really was the case that, for instance, Kenosha had a white supremacist criminal justice system, if if we want to grant that, that wouldn't have spoke to Montana's criminal justice system because we are so local. And I think that the incentives that focus that that were inherently in the stories about that riot and about what happened with Kyle incentivize people to group everyone in together when all that should have happened is if regardless of whether or not Kyle was guilty or not, it wouldn't have said anything about Montana, but like the entire narratives made it seem as if it would, and it implicated everyone. I don't, I don't know if I'm making that clear, but I I think that um, when we, when we are focusing on issues over there, it's actually more dangerous for us and it becomes unstable in a certain way. And I wonder what you think about that. 
Um, all right, let me try to address it like this. So from an evolutionary perspective, we were what? We're small, you know, tribal animals in one some sense of the word. Like you, you only keep track of so much shit, like I said at the beginning. And that includes people, right? So you, you know, have some inherent idea of a theory of mind with somebody else, right? Because this is what gets liberals, in my personal opinion, right? It's the density of people in such a small area that you can't control. That's what freaks people out. And they don't know what they're going to do. And because they don't know what they're going to do, then I can't plan my day about what I want to do onward and so forth. So, you know, going back to what I was saying, like you, you don't have that many people you can keep track of. So you start to chunk things like this group of people, right? All the, this, right. All uh, former military academics are X, right. They're all like this. Like you start to do that in your head because you can't keep track of the nuance, right? And so what the benefit of a local area was, and what I think uh, people, you know, uh, it's not a very good flushed out idea, but, you know, the physical uh, connections you had in those, those earlier times, let's just say you're all occupying the same environmental place. So there's a lot of information that you can extract during communication because you know that physical area right? Like we're both standing next to each other and have an experience that's the same, right? We both saw this from this angle. You and I can communicate much better than somebody who saw something on the other side. Although you and I may not add any more information from our communication with the guy from a different perspective can, right? But I don't know what it was like to be him, right? But because we're in this small physical area, smaller no, smaller uh, distances between these things, like we can get a lot better understanding. You expand that and you lose it, right? So yes, you might be able to get more information about that, that may be seeming like certainty, or maybe if you could develop it longer, you could get it. Like this is what happened in Kenosha. I know you weren't there, but this is what I saw, right? You lose a lot of the context of what he's saying, right? Or she's saying or whoever it is about that area. Cause I don't know it, right? So I only latch onto things I do understand. So I'll just dismiss all kinds of things. And so those little body movements and those little different things like that nonverbal communication, everybody loves so much, right? That, that stuff gets lost when we spread it way out like this, right? And sometimes that's the most informative thing, depending on the message. In fact, most of the time it is, right? Even us, like we're communicating like this now, people might be listening. And because of all our other conversations, we might be able to you know, quickly go through something where somebody may not get all the information as we are intending to communicate it, right? Even though you, right, you, the receiver, can decode what I'm saying much better because you know who I am, right? That's the power of connections. That's why, you know, keeping things local isn't just physical locality. It's keeping, let's, let's call it your sense-making local. So I'm going to guess, you know, from here on till whenever we have a fight about something, we, maybe it's libertarianism and the free flow of capital or something, like you're going to probably trust what I say until I prove you otherwise about most biological things. Cause I'm one note away and I might be reading the same things you're reading. Like, well, this is how I see it because of my experiences. You can't, you can't take that away from people. And so th those kinds of things get lost as you scale up. Right. And don't forget the system at scale for lack of a better word, call it the system demons, whatever you want to call it, different, different, different names for different folks. Right. It, it only wants what it wants. It wants to survive and grow because it needs to, right? All systems need to grow. So it's going to care about what makes it survive and grow. So the people that are in the system, they probably know what the system wants. So those reporters need to get promoted and get more money and or get more influence by elbow greasing with power, whatever the fuck people love, 
Right. So the, that'll cause them to write this story instead of that story. Like you were saying, like now we have different subjectivity. And also if I know CNN likes this, because I'm not an idiot reporter, I might be on the ground talking to my neighbors who are like, why do you work for CNN? They're stupid. Like, yeah, maybe, but they make me money. And so I'm going to keep doing it. And then when I write my story, am I going to write it in a way that is disincentivizing to me? I'm going to guess not all the time, right? At least not very much, right? So you have all these little nuances that kind of aggregate into what we see and everybody wants to point fingers and you got to give, you got to give the individual slack. I think a little bit more. Now the leaders of these things, less slack. And that's what I'm going to go to the final end about the subjectivity, objectivity. There's always a personality that's going to dominate, right? I'm in this committee meeting, but we all know, you know, Mr. Roberts is in charge or whoever the fuck it is. Right. So his subjectivity will dominate the rest of ours. So you get this weighted, weighted objectivity, right? That takes account of what the system you're in wants that you're all subjected to. And also what Mr. Robinson needs to continue to be, you know, the biggest mother, baddest motherfucker on the committee or whatever. Right. So you got these issues. This is really true in, in military, like the commander. Right. So you have that figure. It depends on what system you have, but even in academia, there's always a dominant force. And there's a saying in academia that says academic or scientific progress advances one funeral at a time. And the reason they say that is because people who, you know, capture this reputation, everybody wants to know what they think and they become this filter where new ideas can't get through until they're dead, right? Because they dominate everything they're part of. And they're always brought in to listen to the next review or, or to guide the narrative about what the scientific consensus is, right? Which, you know, anybody who does science for real instead of for propaganda purposes should know the consensus is to be attacked. That is what's to be attacked, right? Not propagated, right? It's just that when we get in these places where people have personal fear, about policy, right? That's when people start to lose their shit, right? And they want things done. They want to understand things right away. They want to be the lot. They want to be on team smart, smart right away, right? That's what they love. Everybody loves being on team smart, smart, right? That's what they want to be rational and smart, right? I am a big fan of irrational and dumb because you're usually better off, right? It's not my concept. That's a seem to leaves concept, but I think it stands pretty well. Like the more you inform yourself about things you don't have knowledge of, right? the worse off you probably are. You're better off making friends with somebody who does in this area. Again, we talked about you can only tend to so many things, therefore you can only know so many things. And to, you know, not contract it out, but maybe that's just your community, your local network. That's how you guys sense make. And then you might have that role for somebody else. I think that's a much better tool than trying to find, you know, the best media network because they're at scale and the scale, they don't give two shits about what you and I care about mostly. I, I imagine CNN doesn't care about Montana like you and I care about Montana. And that will be reflected in everything they report, including what they choose to amplify and deamplify. Right. Yeah. And who they choose to defer to, too, because like the same phenomenon is happening up there where they're deferring to other people. It's just that in a way they they have the veneer of objectivity and who they're deferring to. So it's like the experts are the objective experts and they, they portray them that way. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I got a line about, I mean, this is not my line, but an expert. So an expert knows his limitations, right? So if people are bringing on objective experts and they don't talk about their own limitations before they start talking, they're propagandists. That's the truth. There's your filter. There's your little trick. If that's what you see, if you see people talking about what they know instead of what they don't know, they're full of shit, right? So everything I said that I talked about what I knew, 
right? I'm full of shit. It's what I believe, but that doesn't mean it's true. Does that, that make sense? Right. I can tell you what I don't know and what we don't know collectively as far as what's measurable in the brain. First off, most things. Right. And we can go down that rabbit hole if you want. But that, that's what I would say about most people listening to experts to get their sense making that you don't know personally because you don't know those things about them. You don't know what I like, what, what, what my politics are, what I want to be true, what issues I have in my life. The fact that I have children who are young, who have a future to worry about. Maybe that's one reason why I care about X, Y, Z. And that might mean I have a different policy. You know, I'm a fan of a different policy because it gives me what I want at the time I need it. Right. Not not some different version. I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think another thing in that that you mentioned was like. The specialization of of knowledge, which in a sense seems to be like a um, specialized local uh, localized attention. So it's like we almost seem to be neutered in that we are focusing on so many things rather than focusing on one single thing. Everyone wants to be an expert on everything. And it seems like the media and the incentives around us are making us try to do that. I mean, even I, like I try to focus on monetary policy, foreign policy, Montana, and it's just, people are spread way too thin and they try to be, I mean, try to be everything. Yeah. And, and it's to the extent that like, if you hear a certain opinion about a topic and you didn't come to that opinion on your own through facts or whatever, you just defer to someone to make that opinion for you. If someone else mentions another opinion, you automatically will disregard them. It's, it's gotten to that point where it's like, I know so many people out there who just in my everyday interactions and probably myself who hear a certain term, for instance, and you automatically just disregard it just because it's like, well, and I think another example here right. is like the Epstein thing, like the Epstein Mossad connection or anything like that. As soon as you start to go down that rabbit hole, it's like people will just shut down. They're not going to engage with it because they've already, they're, they're going to defer to the experts, the objective experts, I guess. Well, especially on things that they don't want to be like, let's put it this way. If I came across you in a conversation as another college student, right on Missoula or whatever, and you know a lot about you know the economics. I don't. And we start talking economics, and I can see right away that you and I don't believe the same things. We don't want the same like policy prescription, right? Which is about the future, which is uncertain. Which everybody else should fucking let that rattle around their head for five seconds. But I'm probably gonna disengage you if I can't if I'm gonna present myself as on team dum dum, right? Because when you you know go around in circles about what Mises said versus what Marx said versus what Hoppe says versus what Rothbard writes versus what Hayek writes. When you say all that stuff and he's like, I don't even know who Hayek is. All I know is social democracy is what I want. And you are not a fan of that. Right. Like you, you get uh, uh, some people call it maybe cognitive dissonance. I don't know about, I think that term gets applied more than it needs to. That's applying that there's like a deep knowledge of some belief thing that they can't get out of. Like it, 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 it really depends on, I mean, it's all about what the people are like. It's too hard to say what any one person will do, right? Like it really matters a lot about who they are and what they're about. And so I'm not surprised people generally don't want to engage with things they're not knowledgeable about, especially when they know you don't want the future to look like what they want. Hope that made sense. There's some garble in there. but well, Yeah, there's, there's a perfect example that I'm thinking of right now where 
I, I was interacting with someone on campus. I, I really like the person, but we disagree entirely on politics and she might not like me because of that, but I think she's an awesome person. And we, we were just talking about um, decentralization and states' rights, nullification and all these things and localization. And I was making the argument that even pro-choicers should should embrace localism when it comes to pro-choice issues because you would much rather like to, um, I guess, protect your decision over those, whether or not you think they're rights locally, than defer them to nine people and expect that they're gonna have the same opinion as you and, and protect that across all 50 states. And I, I had cited the, the 10th Amendment and the response that I got was, well, I know I heard somewhere that I'm not supposed to like the 10th Amendment. I can't remember exactly why I don't I'm not supposed to like the 10th Amendment, but I don't. Right. And that and that was like the level of engagement that I got there. And, and I think that I mean, even I have those shortcomings when it comes to certain issues. Well, I'm not, I'm not a, like, this is a great example. So I got a PhD in neuroscience, right? Right. Some people would be like, you, you're a smart guy. Again, we'll talk about that at a different time, but do I know a lot about constitutional law? Right? No, I don't. Right. Do I know about maybe the essence of why the constitution was formed in the first place? I probably do. Right. But as far as how you get to legalism and the legalism arguments, that's a different space, right? That's not quite in the, you know, spiritual space, if you will. It's more of in the, the legalistic space. Fine. But if you look at something like, you know, first off, pro-choice, pro, not pro-choice, you know, right, these binary things are already an issue right away, right? Especially since we do have the ability, that's more of a scale and everybody's treating it like a scale. Nobody's not treating it like a scale, right? Nobody's 100% either way. That's just how the slogans get formed, right? Because that's what causes actually effect, right? So that's a little info op. Right. Just because you have perfect, just because you have the perfect truth doesn't mean people give a shit about it. Right. Like <laughs> hyperbole works for reasons. Yeah. But in the case of the, the, the 10th Amendment and the way you brought it up, well, the Roe v. Wade basically says the 10th Amendment has nowhere to apply here. Right. <clears throat> Which is what gun advocates would say about the Second Amendment. Yeah. So Second Amendment is this is what makes you American at the national scale. And states are not allowed to remove that based off of the way the Constitution is set up, right? Where I do, don't remember reading uh, the abortion thing in there. Now, there could be parts of it where people can make that legalistic argument. Again, I'm not, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, let's, I, I have, I'm friends with lawyers, and friends is a fun word sometimes. I understand lawyers are necessary. Let's put it that way, right? So you might as well make friends with them. But I don't know how that much of it had went into the mind of your friend, because that's a direct version of why the 10th Amendment wouldn't be good in her case, because that's what happened in the first place. That's what the lawsuits were about. A state banned it, if I'm getting this right. And that's what made it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court says you can't do that. Right. And so that's about to be overturned in the sense of they're going to allow the 10th Amendment to be the 10th Amendment. Right. Now, what you're trying to argue is you would be better off with that. But she's also living in Montana. So if it's at a state scale, I'm going to guess she's not going to be OK with that. Now, if it was at a Missoula County scale, she probably would be OK with that. Right. And also just because of density, Missoula County might have its own reasons. It does what it does compared to carrying capacity, what people believe in, all these different things. So it depends on where that localism scales allowed. 
Because if it's only allowed at the state level, I guarantee you somebody like your friend will say, no, fuck all that. I don't like the 10th Amendment for this. That's crazy. So then you start doing that, right? Because there's no unifying principles. And right now in America, it's states and below that's or, or nothing. It's, it's the yeah. state. The states have complete control over They can dissolve cities. I, and I think my calculation there is that I, I would much rather have like. So like I always go back to the Civil War era, I would much rather have Wisconsin that nullified the Fugitive Slave Act, be able to nullify it than have the Supreme Court from the top down say that the Fugitive Slave Act even applies in Wisconsin. Like I would much rather have like the ability for states to be a sanctuary, even if every single other state isn't. Um, regardless of whatever you think about for the the pro-choice, pro-life issue, I think that argument goes on both sides. Like California has already said that they will pay for people to get abortions from across the country. It's like you could effectively do an analog to that. What people say and what they'll do are two different things, but we'll see how that plays out. Right. It's, it's good. It's good politics. It's good in the info war. Right. It's good for all that. But I know what you're saying. Sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. Oh, no. I, and I think this is a good segue into maybe what you think about um, the current political environment being in mind, mm. because uh, we I know that you come more from a libertarian background. Um, you've kind of had some questions in that sphere for a little bit, but I'm wondering what I question you, some dogma that doesn't need to be dogma. That's all. Yeah. And I mean, you still at your same religion, LP people. I know you I know half of you don't have one, but you know what I mean? <laughs> no gods, no masters, right? Yeah. They mastered the dogmas. They're master then as yeah. you've noticed, but anyway, keep going. Well, so I'm just wondering as like someone who prioritizes localism maybe before libertarianism or something like that what what is your current opinion or um what what do you believe do you think we're are you hopeful about the future as a montanan or are you not oh, i'm super pro montana right now i don't know about like the future future because the issue with montana to me is we're so reliant on federal money for all kinds of reasons even myself included i'm retired military right so that's federal money uh, but reliance equals compliance. Yeah. So if you are reliant on outside entities, they will make you comply to their wishes, not yours, even if it's against your best interest. So there's an issue of conflict already built into that problem. So as far as the future of Montana goes, unless we really attack that, and I think we should. And people do know that like people are aware of this. Like I know David Herbst and American Prosperity is, is aware of this as well. Like this, this reliance on federal money is not good. Right. You can't tell them to go fuck themselves if you need them to pay for your food. Right. Or even make the food like that goes back to the local supply chains, which is another issue. Everybody better get a hold of right now. Like, can you buy food around where you live? That's what you have to every day. But you certainly better be carrying that capacity because the one day that some outside entity might want to adjust the way you do business, if you want to say no, but you can't because you don't have whatever local supply, like it doesn't exist in the local supply. And it just think of the basic human needs, you know, shelter, health, energy, whatever. Like if you need those things and you can't get them because of outside entity controls them and that same entity wants you to do things differently against your values, regardless of what they are, you're going to not like this. It's not, it's not good. That's not a good thing to have. So that, that's what I think about why localism is a big, a big deal. And I think what's left to fight about is what scale. So here's the example that I was trying to get into or, or I'm going to get into. So I, I have right winger friends. Actually, most of my friends are right wingers. I think most people will call me a right winger some days. 
Um, but you know, like the issue in Montana is about like, we became basically a, a second amendment state. Yeah. Like you can carry it everywhere except for courthouses. And right now, because of a, a lawsuit university. So let's just talk about that. Like guns on campus. Yeah. So let's take my, uh, one of my bosses, one can say which one does not like guns, scared of guns, doesn't want to be with ground guns really is okay with allowing other people to take care of his security needs. Right. Which is a basic need, by the way, another factor in security. Right. Um, so, okay. He doesn't like it. It just makes gives him anxiety. Right. It's not healthy for him. Let's just say he's got mental health issues. Just grant it as a steel man argument. It creates mental health issues for him to be around guns that he can see. Let's just do that. Easy, easy. Or at least doesn't know they exist, even though they probably are. Gives him mental health problems or her mental health problems. Um, you know, it comes to the thing. I asked some folks, I'm like, so if they want to like create their own, like say campus, sure. People can bring it to class. They can go into the sub, they go into the dining, the, the football games, which I wonder how they can do that. I just went to one. I was like going through the fucking airport, but like, the, <laughs> I know, uh, but Bobcats are doing well. Sorry, Grizz. It's not my fault. You won the wrong game. It's not my fault. That's not my problem. But anyway, <laughs> but is he allowed to like sanctuary his office, his space? Like we can get into public private, even though I think that's a continuum as well. Everybody wants to binary these things. I don't think they're silly. Again, go back to the federal money. Everybody's got some money they're getting, even if it's a bank loan that they made up, right? If it wasn't for the Fed, they wouldn't be able to get it, right? So you are in some way engaged with this federal beast that you used to hate, right? Are you propound to hate, even though we're all, right? Is that what it is? And the Fed? It's not just the Fed. It's everybody else too, right? It's the mindset. Um, but there, like you ask them like, hey, can he like not allow guns in his office? They're like, no. No, absolutely. He has to have guns in his office because it's on camp. Again, it's that, it's that how you fight about it. Like, why can we not find a way to write on the sacred parchments of legalism, right? Why can't we write on the legalist parchments that is the law, the ability for my boss to at least have a safe space, for lack of a better word, for him not to have to engage with what gives him mental problems, right? And again, I'm not saying that's what has going on. It could be anybody, right? Her, her him, my boss here, this boss over here, like everybody's got a million bosses. I don't know if you guys have that, figured that out yet, right? But I would I would grant as a as a grace that ability. That's an okay compromise to me, right? Then this binary all or none garbage, yeah. So now again, all that's left is fights to me. Like, does that mean he gets to say that about his classroom? Well, maybe that's a no, because there's so many you know areas of vulnerability there. You know what I mean? And it creates a whole different problems. Like every time you have a thing you want to change, you might have a whole system problem. Like, well, what are people going to do? Put his guns right outside their, his office and not, not have them. Like, that's not good. Right. Is he going to get an armory right next to his office that people can lock their guns in? And that way, you know, I, 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 all those problems exist. Right. But that's the problem with this binary thinking and like having this all or one, depending on scale, like you have those issues um, almost come up immediately. So people get in their camps one or zero. Right. And so these guys don't care that anybody has any issues with guns. Right. And I say mental problems, meaning anxiety, stress. It's just not good for anybody for people to be like that. He's trying to deliver, you know, a product, which is, you know, waning and, you know, it's cost benefit analysis. But nevertheless, you don't want him. And that's another thing. Not only would he be anxious, but he's getting forced against his will. Right. So how much propaganda is going to come out of his mouth about how stupid this all is and how much is that going to change things forward? You know, you get you don't know what the future is going to be. 
but you do know what conditions you may or may not be presenting to people, right? And so those compromises, those things, I mean, people get so, you know, wrapped up and I want to be on team smart, smart and team, we're going to do it my way. I think they forget about their humanity a little bit and, and, and that kind of stuff. So, And I think you see this tension even in like the Republican Party and um, the conversation about it's actually guns. Um, we became a sanctuary state, like you said, and then they took the power away from Missoula to regulate firearms the way they want. And it's almost like. Right. That was on a state law, right? I remember voting for that. Yeah. Which I'm trying to remember which way I voted. Mm, I voted to allow the cities to have their say. Now, I want to say this about that before I start to defend myself from all those son of a bitches out there clicking away in two seconds, or at least hating me and not caring about anything I say. That was before COVID, right? So even though the gun issue, I would say, can be allowed because there's some issues there, as I just described, based off of who lives there. If anybody hasn't been to Bozeman, Montana before, let me tell you, or Missoula, what you think about Montana ain't those cities. Let's put it that way. But they're more like LA and Portland. Not quite, right? But that's more like what's- Portland. More like Portland, I'd say. Denver's the closest. Denver's an easy analog to both of those cities. More Denver than the coastal cities, but Denver nevertheless. And if you haven't seen Denver lately, well, then Portland and Los Angeles will do just fine for your mind, right? But I mean, I voted for that because I, again, the localist argument, but if you're gonna squeeze the authority and power. So let's say the Republicans crushed at state level, obviously, right? I mean, that's the result, right? And they're going to do it again. So it's going to be worse. I don't even think a Democrat's going to be in office one of these days. But if, if a city like Missoula wants to squeeze the state because they're going to use that Fed power because of our reliance, right? Well, I'm not in favor of that at all. Like, no, no, no. You're doing it because of your unique community, not because you're on team you know, blue, blue or whatever. Right. That's not the reason to do it. And so unless we figure out how to stop that, it's really hard to have that autonomy down the city level, because if they're going to circumvent the state's wishes in order to align to the federal government to squeeze them out, basically taking the power from Helena and delivering it to Missoula is what's happening. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with um, the 10th Amendment argument. It's it's not even necessarily because it's not even necessarily a constitutional argument. I just think it's the, the smart and strategic move because here in Montana, it actually is the case that localities don't have some federal protection. Like there isn't the same relationship there are from states to the federal government as uh, cities to the state government in Montana. Montana actually can supersede that. I'm just saying there seems to be a principle that exists that it is better for communities to have their value system at a local level, because if you if you do um, give up some of that sovereignty at the state level and you push it off, you actually put yourself in a more vulnerable position where if they take over power in the future, they can weaponize it the other way. You've granted that precedent. And it's like if, if it is the case that you think it is smart, whether or not it's constitutional, that the state government should be able to decide the rights when it comes to firearms. What happens when a Democrat gets in there? Like, then they're just going to take the ability away from for billings to regulate their firearms. So, yeah, but this is, yeah. So back in the day, constitutions used to restrict people, but we understand they don't do that anymore, right? <laughs> so I think if you had those mechanisms or latch keys that are by design slow to change, 
you're not going to have that problem, which is what they're supposed to be. Now, when it comes to something like, so the, the counter argument to localism is in the type of problem, right? So some problems cannot be dealt with at the local level as effectively as they can be done at scale, right? Foreign policy being one of those things. Obviously, if everybody did what they wanted to as far as relationships with outside entities, you might have some issues, right? You might be, anyway. So the point of the story is there's a lot more vulnerabilities. And again, that's at this perspective of a state. Like the state doesn't want you to have your carte blanche ability to do diplomacy and and trade and everything else without going through them, right? They're not gonna allow this, right? So it's their best interest to make something. Yeah, so the, the biggest counter argument to super localism is, you know, wars and pandemics because they can have such contagion effect and create such chaos. And so we happen to be in, I mean, again, this pandemic, like the, the COVID ain't no Spanish flu. I had it and I had it pretty bad. Um, and, the, and the COVID vaccine ain't no polio vaccine. So people making those, uh, those, those mental uh, last shots, like the, the, they're just silly. Like every situation is unique, right? So COVID is one of those things where it might actually better be to be local just because one, there's not this big national fight where you create what you just said where people want these power mechanisms done so they can, so they can, you know, they're on team smart, smart, like we talked about, we can't be allowing team dumb, dumb to decide what's going on here. So we will certainly give all this power to this entity to make sure we win. And then, like you said, when the pendulum swings, now team dumb, dumb has that power. And it depends on how pissed they are at team smart, smart. Right. So if you get this case of like COVID where, you know, it's kind of, eh, it's not great to have. It's not great to deal with economically. It's not great to deal with the system doesn't like COVID. Like it hurts the system. Right. And that's what, that's why you see what you see. And cause there's a lot of people that are involved. They have a lot of positions in the system. They benefit from the system. They don't want it. They want the status quo to remain. Let's put it that way. Right. And COVID happens to be a status quo changer, whether they like it or not. So you see a lot of people wanting the old to come back because they were benefiting from the old, right? I mean, those days aren't coming, right? But when it comes to something very like, like a worse virus, like that virus can leave the smallest town and make it across the planet in our interconnected space, right? And there's you know a whole diatribe we could go down about borders and everything else about why they're important sometimes. But take the same thing with wars, like the values of one local area might be violated so much so on another local area that they're going to start a war over it. And then this local area has this alliance and this alliance and this nice means that we have to go to war, which means they have to go to war, which means they have to go to war. And then you have World War One. Right now, if it's at the local scale, what I would push back on both those are at the local scale. I can that's a smaller effect. Right. The other areas might be able to contain that because in World War One, there's just so much, you know, destructive capability that hadn't even been tested yet on the battlefield, let alone you know, what the diplomatic things that Bismarck set up and how they all collapse, right? So you have that problem in World War I, but, you know, at the local level, you might be able to mitigate that stuff. And what is conflict now? Conflict is lawfare right now. Everybody's doing things in the courtroom, for the final say, for now, for now. But it all depends on what kind of weapons you have and what the, the contagion effect of it. As far as pandemics go, like at this point in time for this pandemic, I can promise and people are going to hate this, but I can promise the old little lady in Three Forks, which is a small town about 25 miles outside of Bozeman, knows more about how to handle the pandemic in Three Forks than some fucking idiot at the CDC. I'm not going to debate this. Like she knows how to deal with her life to mitigate her risk more than the CDC does. Now that might be using things the CDC presents as tools, 
but she knows how to apply those tools in a way that makes sense to that local area. And then that scales up from there. The idea of top down is always a mistake at that scale to me, right? Cause you get stuff like, I don't know, mandatory products being forced upon people from people you can't sue, for example, who don't even, who aren't even subject to the same mandates and all and so forth. Like figure out how much Congress is you know, subjected to nothing. They're always exempt, which is probably a good reason. It's just that it doesn't look good. Yeah. Or you get shortages because like the supply of something is nationalized or they don't allow price fluctuations. So then there's just like this from top down, they're, they're managing oh, yeah. supply essentially. And then well, so, you see this issue. And, well, yeah, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, you see this in mental health in particular as well, because you're not allowed to just set up a mental health clinic, but every, most homeless people are homeless because of one or one or zero mental health issues. Like basically whether, and I'm going to put drug addiction as a mental health issue, right? I know there's some biomarkers for it, but let's just put it there. If everybody allow me that grace, right? But there's not nearly enough caring capacity because there's so many regulations, so many licenses. There's, you know, con laws where I have to go around and get permission from all the hospitals to form a new hospital. And they're like, oh, you're, you're taking my market share, chief. That's not good. We have a program. So we're going to say no, right? Oh, who knows whose pockets they're in? Right. And maybe at their scale, that's what makes sense, because, again, at their scale, they want to grow because if they're not going to grow, they're going to die because of inflation, because of who knows why. So they have to get bigger or they're going to collapse. Right. Or they're going to have to fire people and do less care. X, Y, Z. Right. So and, and when you look at the mental problems we have, I do think a lot of them are not able to be biomarkered. Like just go back to the attention thing. You don't know where to put your attention. I think that does cause problems over time. Right creates more anxiety and depression. If you want me to, 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 to point estimate it. I mean, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm a philosophy doctorate in neuroscience, right? That's what PhD stands for, right? Idea guy, as they would say, but as most idea guys should know, even though they don't ideas and implementing them are not the same. There's knowledge and there's know-how and you need them both, right? They're both can be good, but theory without practice is bullshit. And practice without theory can waste resources. So it's not like you don't need elements of both. You just don't want to weigh one and zeros, right? No, we only need this this time. All the data and theory presented is all we need to put in this plan. And it must be done no matter what. Even though through practice, we realized we should have changed it a million iterations ago. And yet here we are having the same fucking fights for the millionth time again, right? Yeah, you had talked about sustainable systems and how really everyone should um, everyone should identify with this, right? Like, I do think that both leftists and um, conservatives understand the need for sustainable systems. They're, they're kind of talking points on both sides; just they're they're argued differently a little bit. But um, I interviewed Senator Greg Hertz from Montana, and he um, tried to get this food freedom bill passed, and he couldn't go as far as he wanted to because if he would have, the USDA would have pulled all funding. So right. I mean, th this is a perfect example of, of what you're talking about, where we are reliant on an outside force. And I mean, I, th I think Montana has plenty of examples of this when it comes to like regulating the highways and, and um, the speed limit laws or alcohol. Um, it, it's just we have even even when I was in high school, there was the transgender bathroom issue where Obama tried to 
mandated down on the state. And regardless of what, whether you not, whether or not you think schools should have those bathrooms, what they did is they held funding hostage over us. And it's like, whether or not it's a good decision, whether or not you think speed limit laws should be whatever the feds mandated them to be, it's still not great to be reliant on these outside forces, especially when they are threatening funds over you and holding them hostage. Well, so right. Reliance equals compliance, but at the same time, you're going to rely on somebody. This is where that local network comes in your local network. You can rely on, I can rely on you when it comes to whatever libertarian party's doing, because if I read more of it, I'm going to vomit. I'm just joking. But like, I can, I can go to you for that. Right. And you go to me for something else. Right. But when you are relying on those outside entities that have diverging interests than you, and they have the ability to affect you, right? That's where that reliance equals compliance comes from. But I'll even get a, a like, I liked your example about the farm bill, but there's even one closer to here dealing with the pandemic. So Bozeman Health, right? They man, they put out, and this is in the paper, this is going to tie some of this together. So the paper, I'll publish this, that Bozeman Health was going to mandate vaccines, which is against the state law of Montana that was passed last session, right? So they know they're going to break the state law. Why did they decide to do that? Well, it's because the federal government had mandated that all healthcare people do that. And so if they weren't going to do that, they were going to be subject to loss of funds from the federal government, which outsizes the state's contribution to any healthcare. So which one are they going to side with? They sided with the federal. And this is the fun part. So like I said, the paper published that. Well, you probably know this and your listeners probably know this. Well, they they blocked that mandate, right? And so Bozeman Health backed down. And I know this because I know somebody who works there. But what did the paper not do? It didn't publish the fact that it backed down from this vaccine mandate, right? Because they, so you see where we're going with all this shit, right? People play these games, right? And some of the games are forced on them. Like, I don't think Bozeman Health wanted to conflict itself between the state and the federal government, but they were in non-compliance with both. And who are they more reliant on the federal government. So it wasn't until the court blocks the mandate before they can drop that from their own employees, even though they were prepared to fire, as far as I'm hearing, close to 100 employees in that system. Now, that could be a fake number and a bad number and a wrong number. And I wouldn't blame my friend who knows this. She only knows what she knows, right? She heard it in passing. There was 100 people at Bozeman Health that weren't going to get it, right? And again, they're just complying with the state law because they would for sure they're going to sue Bozeman Health in four seconds for discrimination as the law is intended to do, which would then bring it to the Montana Supreme Court. You see the messiness of this legalism garbage. Yeah. And so I like I like fighting more of in the, the essence of why we do things, not what's written on the parchments, because the parchments tend to be taken out of context or what a word meant four seconds ago isn't necessarily what it means now. And you can just use the word vaccine or anti-vax directly to see that in real time. Yeah. Yeah, well, we've been going on for a little bit. I, I would like to get into um, you had mentioned just in passing about like what we don't know about the brain in the future. But I don't know if we, we should. Do oh, that. well, why don't we set up a future one? Since I don't know how long you like your podcasts. Yeah. I mean, we can go as long as you want, if that's what you want. But my, my thing about the brain is this, like we don't like we don't know jack shit about it. Right. We're pretending we do. And we do know a lot. Like people have been working on, but we don't really know enough to understand when I have this neurotransmitter hit this receptor, that this is the outcome down, down the range of neurons, right? So 
what am I saying? What I'm saying is the way medicine works in the West is it needs evidence before it's allowed to go forward. Okay, fine. But some things don't have evidence and we're not going to get it. And, and what I go with the neuroscience thing is we have like a, a fundamental barrier of knowledge we can have because the more you manipulate something in order to measure it, like how much of it's still the same as it was. Like, are you, are you getting data about what you did to it to get the measurement? Or are you getting it in its rawest form? And as far as the brain goes, the more we fuck with it, everything's so interconnected. For sure, we're going to miss out on what it does. And not to mention that a lot of neuroscience is built on animal models. Yeah. Well, we're not animal models, especially when it's come to humans. So when people try to take something from neuroscience and extrapolate it all the way into the public policy realm, which people definitely try to do. I mean, I, I, they're witch doctors. Those are witch doctors, right? And I actually think, and I'm going to go on record and say this because it's fun to be that guy. And I'm not really, they can cancel me in two seconds, but I, I consider the drugs that they shove at people right now for mental problems as the modern day lobotomy. So if people don't know the lobotomy story. It won the Nobel prize, right? Scientific consensus was that the lobotomy was a good thing. Yeah. You try to pull that shit off. Now you're going to go to the fucking war crime bill, right? That shit ain't going to happen. So I consider that the same because we don't know what we're fucking with. Right. And so there's a little nuance here. So if somebody is a danger to their meat themselves in their area, yeah, then maybe the drugs might make it worth it because what they do is they dull you out in some way. It's not quite a lobotomy, right? Obviously, but it's also not, not a lobotomy. They, they're there to control the ups and downs. You kind of, have you ever talked to somebody who's especially severely medicated that it, they're there, right? Mm -hmm. But they're not a human as a human's intended in my personal opinion, right? So there's something's getting shut down. And again, maybe that's necessary, but we don't know what we're fucking with. Right. I think that's, that's shown in, in illustrated in how they actually prescribe the medication. It's just throwing things at it until they, my next point. And anybody, if you say the magic words, you're going to get some pills, yeah. right? Yeah. They are not constrained. Like there's no caution there but you're messing with brain chemistry, which I can verify no one has an idea about, right? The whole DSM, which is the, the fucking uh, manual that they use to diagnose psychiatric things. Like there's like self-admitted, they self-admit they can't do it for a lot of reasons. Again, there's no biomarkers there. Why? Because you can't measure things in there that well, right? It's not easy to do medicine. That's not easy to do, right? I'm not gonna pretend it is because at the end of the day, you're doing praxis. Right. Did this work? Is this working? OK, it's not working. Why isn't it working? Now we're back in science land. Right. Where we're going to try to figure out why or maybe something did work, which is where I like science the best. Like something did work. How did it work? And then from there, engineers can systematize it. Yeah. So it's really about that thinking of science that way, not as this oracle of truth. That is the mistake people make. It is basically what I like to think of it as it's attacking what we think is true, right? That's the whole point. And what survives, right, is what we believe to be true. And then it gets attacked more, right? And it doesn't look like this perfect cylinder of knowledge. It's more like a hydra, right? And if you, know, you cut off one head, another six emerge, right? Sometimes when you ask a question and get an answer, there's 18 more questions, right? That, that's what progress is, not, not being certain. Like yeah. you can be certain that your hypothesis was wrong, that you can be certain of, that it was right, eh, maybe, but most likely not because you're a monkey who lives 70 years, who's got mush between its brains and can't really, you know what I mean? <laughs> so. Yeah, there's a, 
you, everything you said just kind of reminds me of the thing that I hear often, which is that we just don't even really know why consciousness exists or what consciousness is, what causes it. Um, and I'm wondering, and, and maybe this is something we can get to in the later podcast, and this can just be like the, the tease for it. I'm just wondering if you know anything about that and if you have something brief to say. Um, so in the lexicon, it's called the hard problem of trying to see how the biological matter emerges consciousness, right? So think about this space when it's about what it is, you know, what it is, is experienced, right? We experience consciousness and it's very difficult to take an experience and start to create, like when you start naming things and different stuff like that, you create boundaries, right? And then this legalistic argument comes and then we talk about that, even though, you know, you might be you know wrong about where you're looking and all these different things. But when it comes to like, like, I don't know how much work um, mine overlaps with your central question, but what I found was fun to see is how much the immaterial affected the material. So in our experiment, basically we're communicating symbols and those symbols mean something. And that changed the way the neurons fired, even though what they're looking at is the same. So this is the visual cortex of the, the image is the same, but what the image meant was different. And you could see that in the neurons, right? So it's changed about what it means, which is why all those little pieces of communication, including more than the message, think about like text messages. Everybody thought, oh, great. We have perfect accountability of what you said on a text message, Liam. That's great. But that doesn't mean that's what you meant. As I like to say to my kids, don't listen to what I said, listen to what I mean. You know what I mean, even if I didn't say it right. Right. So this is where academics fight about saying everything right and all these different things. Right. But what I'm what I was getting at is the immaterial changes the material as much as we've seen the material change the immaterial. Yeah. So something happens, you might change the way you believe something. Right. Or you might understand what these symbols mean and change the way your neurons are firing, which will change the way they'll fire in the future. Right. So that that's kind of how I think about that problem as far as consciousness and everything else that might start to get the metaphysics, which is a whole different conversation that would be a lot more fun since we're both. Um, not atheists. Right. So, I mean, not like I want to theologize. I wouldn't do that. Uh, I'm not qualified to do such a thing. I can just tell you what it's like for me and what I think about all those things. But I think those, you start to overlap in those realms and really show the limits of reductionalist science and the limits of, you know, rational thinking again, without proper context, your rationalizations probably or are wrong. They could be completely wrong. Right. If you believe this thing, and that means all this data means this, but it's really this thing, all your data was supposed to mean this. You know what I mean? Like you can fuck that up pretty fast if you lose that, you know? And as you compress things into numbers, as we do, we certainly lose the essence of things, right? So that, that's kind of how I think about that a little bit. Awesome. Well, we have it going on for quite a bit. If, if you have anywhere that people can find you, I know that you don't necessarily have any social media or anything. Ghost, baby. You can find me through you, right? You can find me through me. And then, I don't know, we'll see what I do. I'm pretty, you know, I'm taking an unpaid sabbatical, if that's what you call it. I don't know what you call things. You're free I'm now. Not, huh? I'm an unemployed PhD. You could call it that as well, Yeah. right? Even though I do things. Again, I, I'm, I'm retired military, so it's not like I have, you know, pressure. That's, that's a luxury I have. I know some people in this audience might think it's, you know, robbing from somebody who won't give it to me. Like, maybe. You can, again, everything, how are you looking at things? 
everybody could have did what I did. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, yeah. you know, at the same time, I think there's a lot of things that we can examine, like norms from the past may not be worth a damn anymore. And, and sometimes I think we all try to figure it all out in our lifetimes. That's why I like, you know, these deeper philosophical writings and religious writings and all these things. They seem to carry those things over time where that one, you know, the zeitgeist of the time, you know, that demon doesn't dictate all what we know about knowledge and know-how, right? Like there's a lot of people who think, you know, history began in 1850 because we started tracking things or whatever, right? Like I, I sympathize with those people because again, four lifetimes ago, might as well be an eon ago to your brain that might as well be true. The Roman empire existed when the civil war did, right? As far as you're concerned, right? I might be able to, you know, conceptually separate those, but you know, how they're stored is the same. They didn't happen to you personally. So that's it, right? There's not much more to rip, to rip apart there. So, I mean, I don't know where you're going with that, but um, that that's kind of where I sit. But as far as people finding me, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of a mystery, I guess. I'm not really on social media right now, which is not true. I mean, I'm not on it. I check in on it, right? Especially your Twitter. I check in on your Twitter because it's fun. Uh, I have a few Twitter people I check in on. I am not on anything. Um, but if you want to support me, my wife has got a cool company called the Montana Rope Company. That's definitely not something I do. She's the talent there and makes awesome things. Local supply, by the way, not going to be around much longer. So get them while it's hot. But other than that, that's what I got. Well, I'll link to that in the description. And then if people want to ask you questions, they can just go through me then. Yeah. You can be my, uh, you could be my gatekeeper. You're the filter in the media space. Everybody needs a filter, right? Or the gatekeeper, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Right. You can decide. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Uh, we'll, we'll end it here. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sounds good. We'll talk to you later. It's the weekend and we can let go. It's the full send and it's the get go. It's the get go.